Hello, everyone. Welcome to Peer to Peer Real Estate Show. I'm your host, William Morales. And on today's show, I have Chad Griffiths. Did I pronounce your last name right, Chad? That was, that was excellent. Yeah, most <laughs> people uh, I say it a little different. You nailed it. <laughs> Sounds good. Thank you. Chad has has been in uh, real estate brokers, uh, industrial real estate broker since 2005. Over the past 16 years, he's completed over 500 transactions with clients ranging from local companies to large institutional owners. He's proud to be a, per a perennial top producer and a partner with his firm. Chad, thank you so much for being on Peter Peer Real Estate Show. How are you, sir? I'm doing very well. Thank you very much for having me on the show. No, no, it's it's my pleasure. So, Chad, what was your journey like to get into to become a real estate broker or even to get into real estate? What was that journey like for you? Did you know you always wanted to be an entrepreneur or was this something I, that fell into your lap as you got older? I was an entrepreneur probably since the time I was 12 years old. I was the kid that uh, sold hockey cards on the side of the road. I'd go to the neighbor's <laughs> houses and ask if I could rake their leaves or shovel snow. So I was an entrepreneur my entire life. And uh, when I was going to school, uh, I ended up actually dropping out of university to take a job at a uh, manager at a restaurant. Right. And through a series of winding events, I started investing in houses with a few friends. One thing led to another. I got licensed. I did residential real estate for a year. And then in 2005, I transitioned over to industrial real estate, uh, just just to get out of that the residential real estate lifestyle, which some people really enjoy and love. And for me, having to always be on and work every holiday and every evening just wasn't something I wanted to do. So it's uh, joined uh, the brokerage that I'm still at uh, today in 2005. And then uh, in 2014, I started investing in industrial real estate as well. So I live, breathe, and sleep industrial real estate. Yeah, because I, I wanted to get uh, talk more about that. So you got into real estate in the early, I guess, early to mid two thousands, and then you you switch over to industrial. So if if you could, well, first of all, how did you become partner with an an uh, AI? And AI, yeah, make sure I got it right. <laughs> yeah, great question. So it was a little bit of good timing. Uh, there was some of the older partners that were looking to sell off their shares, and I had had pretty good production as an agent. So yeah. just good timing. Started off by buying a small percentage of it, and then over time, I've become one of the major shareholders in the company now. So it's uh, it was good timing, hard work, and a little bit of luck. Yeah, listen, a little bit of luck definitely helps all of us, right? So if you could um, tell us what is what is considered industrial real estate? You know, I'm used to residential, so this is all a, a brand new topic for me. So this is something I'm looking forward to uh, learning more about. If you could explain what industrial real estate is. And, and I'm glad you started off there because it, it it can be a bit of a daunting topic to discuss if we don't hit the basics first. So I'm glad you brought that up. So yeah. I usually categorize industrial into three subcategories. First being warehouses. And this, these are what you're probably familiar ah, gotcha. with just seeing on like the side of the road now, like a big distribution center, like Amazon is everywhere now. They've got oh my major God, yeah. <laughs> everywhere. Uh, and these are really just very large buildings where things are stored from anywhere from like a few minutes all the way up to several months or even years. It's basically uh, just where things get stored. And okay. we've all actually been in warehouses, even if, if we don't know it, because a Costco, a Home Depot, these big box department stores are really yeah. just large warehouses that are in a retail setting. Okay. So that, that makes up a good portion of the industrial real estate market. Then the other one is manufacturing spaces. And this can be anything from a small automotive mechanic bay 
all the way up to a, the Boeing factory in, in outside of Seattle, 4 million right. square foot building, all the raw materials come in, they manufacture, assemble, complete the finished airplanes, and then the airplanes get sent out. So that's right. a, like a manufacturing facility. And then other ones, which we've all been in as well, are, are called flex industrial. And these are generally properties that are zoned industrial, but they're not necessarily used for manufacturing or warehousing. And there can be any number of uses in these types of buildings. It can be self-storage, bottle depots. I've seen churches in these. I've seen oh, wow. art galleries and flex buildings. Uh, even some straight office users will be in an industrial zone building, but it's all office space. So right. it's it really is a broad spectrum uh, from anything from a church all the way up to a building that manufactures airplanes. Wow. Okay. So, you know, it's funny because I wasn't sure. I thought it might have been warehouses, stuff like that, but we're talking about a warehouse manufacturing plants, a flex industrial, which I never heard of before. But, and then we're talking about, which it could include self-storage and things like that. Now, when, when a building like that is built, an industrial type of plant, so to speak, um, do you have to get city uh, or uh, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, do you have to get some type of um, uh, go ahead from the city planning commission or something like that to build something like, you know, a, an industrial uh, plant for whether it's storage or warehouse or whatever that may be? Sorry, yeah, my question was all over the place. <laughs> well, great question. And, and the terminology can vary. So it, I, I think that that is like an important distinction. Of like a market like Houston is an example. They do things a little bit differently than you might see done in Chicago or in Toronto. So right. the terminology can vary. But I, I think I, I understand your question. But if I give you an answer that you weren't expecting, just correct me and I'll, sure. I'll, I'll rephrase it. But you're right. A, a property owner or a company will have to apply to the city to get a permit yeah. or so it could be called a development permit it could be called an occupancy permit a business license all the terminology is different but you do need okay. to get approval from the municipality to operate in that building or to build it in the first place you'd still need to have the building permit and the development permit and go through all the proper channels uh right. and that does make it more complex than if you're more familiar in the residential side right. you're probably not getting involved in many zoning conversations because a house or an apartment building is designed to be used for someone to live in it. So that it very seldom would you run into an issue where you had a, a zoning issue from the municipality, but in industrial real estate, it can be quite common. Okay. Well, the reason that you got, and tell me if I'm wrong, was it because as they always say, the three T's, tenants, toilets, and termites, <laughs> was it, was this more of an easier tra uh, uh, transition to get into uh, industrial real estate than dealing with, you know, the three T's, the three dreaded T's. <laughs> I, I've, I've never actually heard that. I've heard the, the toilets and tenants before. The termites is a good one to add on there. <laughs> yeah, somebody <laughs> told me that a few years ago, and I'm like, tenants, termites. Okay, so, okay, uh, th that makes sense. <laughs> I, yeah, I don't know. I, I wouldn't actually say that it was easier to transition into. In fact, it was the opposite. It, it was a daunting task to learn a whole new asset class. Yeah. So that's why when I became licensed in the industry in 2005, I didn't buy my first industrial property until 2014. Okay, and that was wow. partly to save up money. I was raising a family at the time, trying sure. to go through that whole process, but also just to become more familiar with the the whole process of, of learning industrial and learning where there's potential pitfalls and try to 
look where you could find an advantage that takes time. Uh, So I usually actually say to people that industrial real estate should scare them uh, as an Mm. investment. And that's probably not what what you'd expect from someone that makes their living as an industrial real estate broker. But if you aren't prepared to spend the time and go through the proper channels of of purchasing an industrial property can actually be very uh, painful from a financial and time perspective. Uh, And if we have time near the end, I could even share a story or two about some examples of that. I, I love industrial real estate and I wouldn't go anywhere else now. I wouldn't go back to, I've, I've owned some houses and some small multifamily over the years. I don't anymore and I wouldn't go back okay. because they're, while, while it should scare the first time investor, once you get familiar with it, there's a lot of opportunities. And to kind of circle back to the three T's, I think that actually is one of the the main reasons why I do like it is that. Uh, we're we lease to corporations essentially there's still people involved obviously but it's usually the corporation that's the tenant so these these companies will have financial statements and they'll they'll be a lot stronger than renting to someone that's a residential tenant so you don't necessarily have that illiquidity or financial risk that the tenant's not going to be able to pay their rent we're not beholden to any landlord tenant uh, rules which also vary all across North America. You try to evict a tenant, uh, and, and in the state, in so, some of the southern states, it won't be an issue with winter, but in northern parts of North yeah. America with snow, try to evict a residential tenant in the middle of winter and see what judge is going to be sympathetic to that. Where if you have a corporation that's the tenant and they don't pay their rent, for the most part, it just follows contract law. So there's a lot of uh, options uh. that a landlord has to quickly expedite that process. They, in in some scenarios, depending on what the lease says, they can seize equipment, they can seize inventory. There's, there's a lot that goes into that. So I, I I don't want to try to distill that down into like a sound bite, but there's a lot more rights of distress that I, that a commercial or industrial landlord has versus a residential one. And then you also have longer term leases. So I have one tenant that's, uh, we just renewed them for another five years. So though by the time that term comes up, they'll be in there for 10 plus years uh, versus residential has a lot more uh, turnover. Uh, right. It's not common to keep a residential tenant for that long, but it is quite common in commercial. So I, I, kind of the two-sided answer to that question is I, there's a lot of reasons to be positive about industrial real estate, right. but it takes a lot of time to get up to speed and fully understand what the benefits are, but also really understand what the downside risk is. Uh, Because there's a lot of people that have made a lot of money in it. And there's people that have lost money. Whereas residential, for the most part, I think if you understand it, and you, uh, you you're buying right, your downside risk is more systemic, like it's more market risk, versus you making a mistake and buying the wrong property. So it I say it should scare people, but that's a healthy amount of fear that people right. say, okay, this, this could be scary. If I do all my homework, I do all the due diligence, I learn everything I can about the industry, then there are a lot of positives. Yeah. You know, it's funny. Uh, cause I, I wanted to uh, backtrack a little bit because I was going to ask you the type, the type of tenants that you guys have. And it's like you said, it's mostly corporations, which is a good thing because like you said, they got the profit and loss statements, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and if they have a good history, like you said, you know, you got Amazon, you got, um, 
like I said, Costco and, and Walmarts and things like that. Because when you go to these places, it's just like a, like you said, it's just like a, a, a two, three story building. Uh, the ceilings look horrible. It's not decorated. I mean, yeah, I, I, I definitely get what you're saying. Are these expensive to get into? So let's say like if somebody wanted to, I guess it depends on the state we're, we're looking at. But if um, if an investor wants to get in, or they want to start learning. You're a broker, obviously. You guys, you know, you guys look for uh, these type of properties. But is it expensive to get in, or it depends uh, the size of the uh, of the of the warehouse, so to speak? It definitely is dependent on the size. And interestingly, there's the full spectrum. Uh, so uh, the Spanish billionaire uh, Mancio Ortega, the Zara. Oh yeah, I know. I heard of him. Yeah. Yeah, he just bought a $900 million portfolio of uh, industrial properties in the US. I think it was oh, wow. seven or seven or eight properties. So the average one was $100, $150 million per property. Wow. So that's that seems quite daunting. The first industrial property that I bought with a partner was $400,000. It was a right. small industrial condo, same same way that like a, a person could buy a residential condo, same right. type of ownership structure where we just owned one single bay in the whole building. It's $400,000. So wow. it's, uh, there, again, it's a full spectrum there. It's largely dependent on size. For that one, we had a very small commercial tenant that was leasing from us. So it wasn't an Amazon or company of that caliber, uh, but there it is the full spectrum. In terms of the cost of getting into it, that's another thing that, people just have to be prepared for is that generally speaking, your due diligence costs are going to be more, uh, your bank fees are probably going to be a little bit higher. Right. Uh, you'll probably be capped in that 65 to 70% loan to value ratio, uh, unless you start doing alternative lending, and then you end up paying higher interest rates. Right. Uh, so your due diligence costs of, of your upfront inspections and appraisals, and if you have to do an environmental report, that can be more expensive upfront. Uh, but in terms of the overall cost, you can get into some industrial properties for the price of a of an average house. Oh wow! Okay, so it's it's definitely uh, it's definitely uh, doable. Um, can someone get into industrial real estate through a, a real estate fund? In other words, um, let's say like the S and P five hundred that that type of version where you know somebody wants to be a passive type of investor. Absolutely. So one of my favorites is a company called Prologis. And oh, so I heard yes, of them too. Yeah. They're real big estate investment trust. Yeah. Yeah. Huge read. In fact, they're the largest property owner in the world, at, at least documented. Who knows, who knows what some of those governments said that, uh, that, that we don't follow that close, no own behind the scenes, but in terms right. of public records, Prologis is the biggest. Uh, I owned Prologis up until about four months ago, and then I sold it. I was just, uh, I was thinking that they had priced in so much growth uh, the yield on it was pretty low. I think even right now, and it has come down, I think the yield on it is 2.6%. So okay. it was, it's it, to me, it's not overly attractive right now. That's still pricing in quite a bit of growth. Uh, right. But th they're a great one uh, in terms of how, how well they're run. Uh, and then there's also abilities for people to get into uh, syndicate models, uh, kind of like the GPLP model where right. they can just invest as a limited partner, find somebody that's sponsoring a deal, they put in their capital, they don't have the same uh, responsibilities as the general partner does, but they get to participate in the profit and the cash flow. Uh, that one, you're, you have to look individually at each opportunity, who the sponsor of the deal is, right. what the property is, what the projections are, uh, but you don't have the same risk uh, as if you're just going out and buying property and having to manage it and do everything that an active so, investor would. So yeah. those are pro probably the two common ones, 
uh, look for real estate investment trust, publicly traded companies, uh, or look to find us a, a real estate sponsor that's trying to recruit uh, limited partners. Yeah, no, yeah, definitely. I mean, because they do that in multifamily. So for, for you, Chad, when you when a client comes to you and they're looking for, you know, to buy an industrial place, you know, they want to, you know, uh, it's a medical device company. I'm just throwing something at you. What are some of the criteria uh, are you looking from that client uh, themselves, if that makes sense? A, a great question. And I, actually, I just had this conversation with a, a young broker yesterday. Uh, so this is very top, topical uh, for right. me right now. Uh, so what I, I'll just actually repeat what I said to him uh, on, on that same example is first thing that I'd always want to do is go through their current facility uh, if possible. Like if it's someone coming from out of state and they're looking at the market that might not be feasible, but provided you can go through their current location, just ask them, what do you really like about this space? Like what's worked well for you? And then what are some of the things that haven't worked that you wish your next property had and start getting a sense of, of their operation from the standpoint of this is how the processes work, the flow works. And then here's some of the bottlenecks or areas of concern and then start asking questions. Uh, so the, the main questions that I always ask when I'm talking to is someone that wants real estate, what, how high of ceilings do you need? Uh, is, is it uh, if it's manufacturing or do they have cranes in there that that hook height needs to be a certain height? So the ceiling height is always a big one for any type of industrial tenant. What kind of loading that they need? Do they need to have drive-in grade level doors or do they need to have dock doors or a combination of those? Do they have a certain power requirement? This is going to be a big one going forward because everything's being electrified. There's a lot more automation now. The amount of power to the building is always an important one. And then there's just other other things that could be specific to the, to the operation themselves. How much yard space do they need? What kind of access do they need for their trucks to come in? Are they bringing in big 53-footers? Are they bringing in cube vans? How much loading space do they need? The column grids. How, how how far apart those columns need to be? Right. Does it need to be sprinkler? Does it need makeup air? And start going through. You you start with like the really really important ones like ceiling height and and number of doors, and then you could start working down to see do they need cranes? Do they need a certain amount of office space? Uh, uh, do they need a certain amount of parking uh, for trucks or for their staff? So that uh, and then. I'm sorry, okay. sorry. So we're talking like also loading docks and things like that. Would that come yep. into play too? Okay, guy. I'm sorry. Absolutely. And okay. and that's a critical one because uh, if it's a warehousing company, they probably do need to have predominantly dock doors. So that's okay. that's where the floor of the warehouse is the same height as the bed of a truck. So it's just very easy to load and unload a, a truck. Uh, but some manufacturers need to bring raw materials in or equipment or anything uh, in. So they usually want to drive in. Right. So knowing what those doors is is key. Uh, and and then the other thing that that I always ask is is uh, have them explain anything that might be important to their business that I hadn't thought to ask because right. every business is going to be a little bit different than another one. There's a lot of similarities, but everyone's a little bit different. So I always just ask anything that I've missed uh, that that you think is really important that you want me to focus on, and then you combine all three of those, walk right. through their property a detailed list on what they're looking for. And then anything that I might've missed, you paint a pretty good picture of what that company needs in a space. Right. So, I mean, it's a checklist that you guys go through because again, uh, you talk about whether it's a, like an Amazon or, or, or just even if it's an individual that has, 
you know, uh, medical equipment. I, I didn't know about the ceiling height. I understood about the loading docks and, and any type of doors that might need it. But I never knew that ceiling height would come into play because if you're going to put shelves up there, are you going to put, you know, uh, are you going to stack them in three at a time or two at a time, whatever. So um, how do you find these uh, properties for, for, uh, for your customer? Are these a listing that you guys already have from people that are looking to sell or, or you guys had these already through, um, uh, you know, uh, I hate to say it, foreclosures, pre-foreclosures, I guess it's a, how, how do you guys find the properties uh, that quickly? It's unfortunately not quick. Uh, it is, okay. a, it is a process to go and, and find all of them. And there's no central repository like there is for, for residential real estate, where if you go on the MLS uh, or the local listing, or you'll find yeah. a lot of them. There yeah. are a few listing services that try to capture as much of the market as they can, but it's always going to be incomplete. So it is like you said, it's it's having relationships with you companies that you know are going to sell or yeah. properties that have gone into receivership. Uh, other brokerages are always a great resource because we share information on new properties that are coming available all the time. Uh, it, it is it's a lengthy process of of actually doing that discovery on finding all the available pro properties uh yeah. it, it can sometimes take a week or, or so to really have all that information come in I, so, i'm so I, wow i thought it would be more yeah. than that i thought you were gonna tell me 30 to 45 days <laughs> uh, well, well i mean I, for, from if we really <laughs> extrapolate it out it could be in uh infinity because it's it all it becomes a process where you're always looking for more options too gotcha. uh, especially if someone has a very specific requirement there might not be anything available so it really does become an ongoing process uh, yeah. so i guess to to backtrack and, and simplify it to get like a basic list of, of what's available to survey as much of the market as you could, that could take a week or so, but, yeah, it could but be that's pretty good process. time though. I mean, I still think yeah. that's pretty good time um, to wait a week to get what, yeah, I was expecting longer to be honest with you. I think that's a great process that you guys got a few days to a week. No, I think that's amazing. Yeah. And it, it comes down to systems. Uh, so right. if someone was doing it from start and they didn't have these systems in place where they could go and reach out to the community and they didn't have a database of clients, it could conceivably take much longer. But most commercial brokers are working at a, at a large brokerage, right. I'd say the vast majority, or at least at a brokerage that already has these systems and processes in place right. to do it from scratch from for a client to do it without having a broker involved. Yeah. That could be a lot more of a daunting process. Yeah, no, you got to have a broker. I mean, uh, simple, simplify, uh, simplify this the system because it's just crazy if you're going to do it on your own. Imagine you're going to have to go. Listen, I don't even like looking at houses most most of the time. I I have a an investor friendly agent send me stuff and then I look it over and I'm like, nah, I don't like this one. Some something something else that you might have. Um, we're talking with Chad Griffith. Uh, today's topic I like it is about industrial real estate. Um, talk about your YouTube channel. I know you just started one, I think, right? Uh, so talk more about your YouTube channel. Yeah, it's it's become just a pure labor of love for me. I, as you could tell, I just love talking about industrial real estate. <laughs> so it, it only made sense that I, I started uh, uh, a, a YouTube channel on it. And it was, it's funny how the time we talked earlier about even how I got into industrial real estate and involved yeah. like just good time and some luck. Same with a YouTube channel. So I'm I'm 42 right now. And I started it a year or so ago. And I realized that it took a like a change in my 
my own personality to even be willing or prepared to do a YouTube channel. Yeah. Uh, because in my thirties, I don't know if I just thought too much about what other people thought of me and, and that restricted. I think we all, for, I think we all go through that. Yeah, <laughs> so I know me, I did. <laughs> yeah. Same thing. Yo, yeah, yeah, uh, definitely. I I, and like I said, I did me. the podcast first and then I think I, I might've taken a few months before, uh, I started a YouTube channel, you know, cause yeah. I was saying, I was thinking the same thing. I'm like, Oh, do I really want to do this? But no, I'm glad I did. I got no, no. Uh, cause if you see my YouTube channel, it's a combination of still shots of, of my guests and, and, a and a full interview, like what we have. So I try to mix it up a little bit. I, I think that that's a great way of doing it. I think that yeah. there's a lot of demand right now for good quality content that yeah. that isn't self-serving, but it's more just have a discussion. People can learn things along the way. Yeah, yeah. I think that there's a good demand for that. But yeah, I was I was actually, I, I wanted to do a YouTube channel for a long time, but I was just, I was too worried about what people thought if I was going to say something that embarrassed me and then yeah. are, are people going to say, why is he doing that? But yeah, something around me, around 40 just clicked where I was like, do I just really don't care anymore. If somebody wants to make fun of me for doing YouTube, it, th this is something that I want to do. Like I really enjoy yeah. doing it and I can't control what people are going to think. Uh, yeah. But yeah, so it really was like that timing and a little bit of luck and just, it, it was good. Yeah good timing where people are tuning into social media now to get content and they they yeah. want to learn things so everything just kind of it was like a perfect storm on on when, when i started it yeah no that's a, well i'm glad you did it because at the same time yeah i did the same thing i thought about what people would say then i'm like you know what screw screw that i'm <laughs> i'm too old to think about that uh so what's next for nai um and that's nai edmonton is that what you guys because that's what i saw the website so am i yep. right on that okay yes yeah, so nai is a, a global company for okay. commercial real estate brokerage and we're we're essentially a franchise uh, of oh that. nice so, okay yeah so that's our local market uh, so I, I think NAI uh, as a company is going to continue trying to expand and grow into new markets. Would uh, you guys come to the United States or do you guys have anything? Yeah, there's, here? there's offices in the U.S. Okay. Uh, it's yeah, it's there's usually only one office per large city. So it okay. doesn't have like the same uh, brand recognition as, you know, like a Remax or Keller Williams. Williams yeah. uh, but in the commercial real estate space, it's it's got a pretty good presence. Uh, and then for our office, uh, we're, we're just, a, we're independently owned. Uh, there's right. five partners of us. Uh, and same thing, we're same challenges as every company's facing right now. Is yeah. You've got a looming recession. So yeah. there could be, could be issues there, but we've, our company was started in 1966 and it has uh, run all the way through. So it's the offices collectively is not immune to past recessions, uh, but you just keep a positive attitude. You try yeah. to control what you can control and, and be responsible spending. Uh, and we have the same struggles. We have the same challenges and we have the same opportunities and we still want to continue growing and uh, adding more brokers uh, as, as an investor. I still want to continue investing myself. Yeah. Uh, so it's, I, I think that there could be a little bit of turbulence in the, in the market for the next yeah. year or two, yeah. but I'm also not a, I'm, I've never been a short-term thinker where I, where I think, uh, well, I have to panic right now because it's, it, it's the end of the world. I think it's a cycle. I think we, we go yeah. through this. I think it, like every other one that I've been through and I was through the great recession, uh, I was through oil collapse, which impacted our market pretty oh, he yeah. heavy. So I've, I've been through these. I think you just be responsible and don't overreact <laughs> and yeah. keep that long-term outlook in mind. And at least as as far as my career has uh, the trajectory has been so far it's worked out 
maybe this yeah. one's different. That's what they always say, right? Yeah. Uh, but I'm I'm not changing my approach. <laughs> no, no. I listen. I, I understand that because again, you know, uh, you know, 2008 and what happened. You know, now the market recovered, but now, like I said, we might be heading for a downturn. But I think I think if if people just keep their head on straight and not panic, and you know, we could get through this. Uh, first of all, Chad, I want to thank you so much for being on. Uh, peer-to-peer real estate show uh before i let you go just a couple more questions any books you like to recommend because you have a book in you you know that right because i was I, looking I at do. your website i don't know if I, I if i missed it then i apologize but if you have a book please i i, I do want to do a book that actually oh, is kind you of a should goal. i think yeah. you have to <laughs> i do that will be a goal in 2023 uh, so okay. I, I will try to do that uh I, i'm reading quite a bit right now actually i've probably got three or, then this isn't something that i recommend anyone do because you've you always try to got to remember where you left off at uh mentally not from an actual bookmark standpoint yeah. you have to remember but i've got three or four different books on the go right now yeah uh, the one that i'm that i've just was reading last night so it's the most recent one that i was diving into is actually on the story of youtube uh, and it was written from a financial journalist who, who who dug into just how crazy of a story that was from when Google was trying to get in a video and then YouTube surfaced and they, they're this yeah. small little startup that es- escalated. And then just all the problems and challenges and scandals that YouTube's had to deal with. Oh, yeah. Uh, and I'm almost done that book. It's not it's not a glowing endorsement of YouTube by any means, other <laughs> than there it's it talks just about how resilient they had to be to to go through some of these crazy things. Uh you remember that the Logan Paul when he did that yes. uh, uh story. So that that's where I'm at right now. So I think that was 2017. Uh okay. in the book. yeah, yeah, but yeah. Just all the challenges that they had, like having to deal with like videos that were atrociously offensive uh, and how that they have the manpower and the computer systems to do it. Uh, I, 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 was, I grew up with YouTube, essentially. It's because it was 2005, I believe. It's an amazing uh, so platform. Amazing. Yeah, I, I love YouTube. I mean, me I, I listen, I, I go there to learn about stuff. I go there to watch music videos. I, besides television youtube is probably right right up there so um what's the name of the book i honestly can't i can't even remember oh, that's okay i I'll, mean you I'll, can you can, you can send you it to me an email yeah, yeah you can send you me an email, email. Yeah. yeah uh I've... any other book you would like to recommend that you that you might have read before or let's see if <laughs> I, my wife thinks I'm an absolute degenerate when it comes to reading because I just have so many books. Uh, I've, and I look at reading kind of like the same as YouTube, right? Like you can explore so many different topics. I agree. So the earlier this year, I went on a big music run where I just read a lot of autobiographies from famous musicians. Uh, so Van Halen, uh, I'm not even a big Metallica fan, but I read James, James Hetfield's, uh, book, uh, so the, I, I just like exploring different topics and I've gone through the phase where I've read a ton of business books and a ton of biographies this year. I, I happened to read a lot of uh, music books at the beginning. Yeah. Uh, I'm, the other one that I'm reading is by an author called Zahan, I think is how you pronounce his name. Uh, and the title of that one is the end of the world is just the beginning. Okay. And it's about how he, and he he's a strategist. Like he dives really deep into geopolitical issues he thinks that we're going to see deglobalization going forward where really? like the, wow. yeah the last 40 years have been exporting and offshoring to china and other uh, yeah. countries with low labor costs he actually thinks we're going to see deglobalization so i'm i'm quite uh-huh. fascinated in that topic because uh, i think it'd be fantastic for north america if we could yeah. start reshoring jobs 
reshoring manufacturing start keep them making here yeah. things start making things in north america again that we're yeah. proud to do uh so i i'm following that one pretty closely that's one where it's it's not as riveting as a read as the youtube one that i'm reading so <laughs> I, I tend to uh to go to the youtube one first i can only get through zahan's book i think that's how you pronounce his last name yeah i can only get through a few pages of that at a time before i start to uh, trail off a bit no I, I definitely understand that and if somebody want to get in contact with you what's the best way uh email is great uh, it's uh griffiths cre at gmail.com uh or linkedin is, is also good all right yeah i'll definitely put it on the show notes but first of all chad thank you so much for being on peer to peer real estate show i really really appreciate it that was awesome i love the discussion love the questions and i will send you the name of that youtube book as well all right sounds good thank you so much i really appreciate it much appreciated honored all to right. be here Yep. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks.